Okay. Hi, everyone. Tammy got on. Yay. Hi, Julie and Laura. Good to see everybody. Okay. We are on page 176. And that is chapter 16, verse 29. So we've been talking about the person who is... You already say we're learning from my nephew. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. Um, Ryan Green. Yeah. Right. So we're, we're studying today um, for the, in the memory of Ryan Green and may our Torah study be an elevation for his neshama, for his soul and um, may his soul find peace and rest. Me. Thank you, Heather, for reminding me. All right. So we have been talking about this person who is the opposite of the wise of heart. Previously, we were talking about a person who is wise of heart. Now we're talking about the opposite kind of a person and how much havoc such a person can create with the drama. Um, and this person who's provoking and criticizing and sort of sowing drama and conflict, right? And how we have to recognize it for what it is and try to avoid it wherever we can. Okay. So in uh, the last verse that we did, which was verse 28, we were talking about, you know, this person is creating suspicion and hostility between people. Um, and one of the things I don't believe we mentioned last week is um, there is actually a Torah prohibition against um, kind of retelling stories about people, meaning obviously not neutral or positive stories, but telling somebody what somebody else said about them. That is a Torah prohibition. It's called Rechilut. And what the word, the word Rechilut comes from the, the way it's written in the Torah, not to do this. It says, Lo That means do not go about like a peddler in your communities. Do I spy a Mr. Hemelfarb joining us today? Hi there. It's, it's good to see you. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> good. And hi, Allison. Um, so what does it mean to go around as a peddler in your community? What it means is that some people sell stories. That means that they pick up bits of information about people from other people, and then they go around and they trade and they sell and they buy. And this is their social currency. This is how they get status and honor and what they think is respect. Okay. So specifically, now we know, we know already there's something called Lashon Hara, which means negative speech. And that means that you're not allowed to say something negative or damaging about another person, even if, or maybe especially if it's true. If it's not true, that's also bad, but that can be disproven. If it's good, it cannot be, if it's true, it cannot be disproven. This is a little bit different. This is, let's say, me, um, let's say I'm at, uh, you know, a bar or bar mitzvah, and I see Sherry Goldberg, and um, I'm like, oh, hey, Sherry, and, and Sherry's like, oh, I, I see Laura across the, the room. Oh, my gosh, I'm so surprised that she's here, and I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I wonder why Sherry is surprised that Laura's here. That's kind of weird. Okay, fine. So then I make my way over to the next side of the room, and there I see Laura, and I say, oh, my gosh, Laura, it's so good to see you. You know, it's so funny, like Sherry was just saying, she's so surprised that you're here, right? So what's Laura going to think now? Well, what, what's that supposed to mean? Why wouldn't I be here? Wait, are you, hold on, are you trying to imply that like, I'm not such good friends with the host, like, or that like, I'm not like a shower upper or like that I'm a flaker? Like what, 
what exactly is the right, what I, what I said was not negative. I didn't say Sherry said, Laura looks awful today, which of course couldn't possibly be true because Laura is beautiful. <laughs> but I just said, oh, Sherry said that Laura, she was surprised that Laura's here. Now you understand how this can be interpreted in a damaging way. First of all, nobody likes to know that people are talking about them, right? And if it's a compliment, obviously that's different. And if it's negative, for sure, don't say that, right? But if I tell you something even neutral, it could be interpreted. As soon as you tell somebody people were talking about you behind your back, it's a bad feeling. And this is how you sow discord and hostility among people. And by the way, included in this Torah, included in this Torah prohibition is that we should not seek that kind of information by asking people, what did so-and-so say about me? What did so-and-so, oh, I saw you talking to, you know, were you guys talking about me? What did you say? Really? What did she think about my recent, you know, event or my recent promotion? Come on, come on. You can tell me what we're friends. No, seriously. I just want, no, nothing bad. Like whatever. I just like to know, you know? So here we're asking to be sold a story. So the Torah says, don't do this. Don't walk around from person to person, selling stories, retelling what people said about you. This is a damaging activity that sows discord and hostility among people. Hello, Tova. Hi. So our next verse, verse 29, continues to list these negative kinds of activities, you know, and these destructive, as the commentary says, these destructive types of characteristics. And I, I will say, that it is so important, you know, just like in our physical wellness, right? It's so important if a person is not feeling well to get a proper diagnosis because the proper diagnosis will help you to treat and service, right? The person who is suffering. So if your ear is hurting, well, you have to know, do you have an ear infection? Because if you do, you would take antibiotics, right? Do you have a growth in there? Because if so, you might need a biopsy. Or is there some wax in there? If so, you need to get it out. Sorry to be gross before lunch. Um, so you need to get a proper diagnosis because otherwise you might treat it wrong and it will not get better. The same exact thing is true of spiritual illness. When you encounter a person who makes you feel bad and you think to yourself, why do I always feel bad when I speak to this person? Why do I always end up, you know, doubting myself or feeling like I'm not good enough or, you know, any of these things. So what these verses are helping us to do is to come up with a proper diagnosis. Oh, this is a person that likes to talk about other people. That's what they're selling. That's their social currency. Okay. So now I know what to do. It doesn't mean that I can ever talk to this person again. It doesn't mean that I have to avoid them at all costs. It does mean that I should limit my conversations with them. It does mean that I should be careful what I tell them because they'll probably repeat it and that I shouldn't expect them to be confidential or mature about my disclosures. It does mean that if I'm looking for somebody to confide in, they are not the correct address, right? So you definitely want to have a clear understanding of what's going on so that you know how to handle it. Okay, 29. Um... Excuse me, allergies. Okay, any of you who have been suffering from allergies the past two weeks, the weather is magnificent and God forbid, I am not complaining. But if you like me are suffering from allergies, I see you, <laughs> I feel you. Okay, 
Here we go. 29. Ish Hamas, a person of violence, right? We talked about, um, we talked about, did we talk about uh, Ish Hamas? Was that last week? Ah, so did we do this verse? No. Maybe it was in a previous a previous verse, I don't remember. Okay, but Ish Hamas, this is a person of violence. Yifatere Ehu entices his neighbor. Yifate is a word, um, you know, it's interesting because in Hebrew, there's so many different words to talk about talking. You can talk softly, you can talk harshly, you could talk positively, you can talk negatively. There's many different, in English also we have, we have speak, talk, discuss, right here. The word Yifate, specifically means somebody who's trying to persuade somebody else to do something. So this violence person, this person who enjoys stirring up drama, drama and controversy, because, you know, sometimes this makes a person feel that they have power. When a person feels like, oh, I am like sort of pulling the puppet strings. And when I speak, people dance. It gives them this sense of power. And that sense of power it can be really, really potent and really dangerous. So this person will try to persuade their friends to participate in their conversations, right? Even this example that I gave just before, where I want to know what somebody else said about me, right? And I'll, I'll be like, no, come on, you can tell me why. No, it's just me. Like that is incorrect behavior. If somebody is not comfortable sharing or disclosing something, you should not pressure them to do so. You should respect their wishes, right? So this type of persuasion, trying to get somebody to join in these activities, right, is not the right way to behave. Um, and leads him on a way that's not good, right? So sometimes people they, you know, sort of start down a path, but they don't realize that this path is not going anywhere good, right? Let's say I say to my, let's say I say to somebody, oh my gosh, did you see what so-and-so posted on social media, right? I should know that this conversation is not going anywhere good, right? This is not a constructive conversation. This is not a helpful conversation. Nothing good is going to come out of this, right? So when we start talking, we need to ask ourselves, where is this going? Where is this leading? Where is this going to take me? And we have to take into account not just what we're saying, but who we're saying it to, right? If I know, um, Let's say I'll, I'll give you an example. Okay, let's say that somebody in my life is very, very active politically on social media, right? Now, one could say that's neither a good nor a bad thing. That's a neutral thing. Some people are very open and vocal about their political beliefs, and some people are very private and quiet about their political beliefs, right? One could say that's a neutral difference. Now, let's say that it's before an election. <laughs> let's just say somehow it always feels like it's before an election, at least in this country, um, right? And I have a friend who's been actively posting, you know, political commentary, now I have another friend who I know has the opposite political beliefs of that person, right? So let's say I'll say to friend number two, oh my gosh, did you see what so-and-so posted on Facebook today? And I want to be like, no, what? And she'll pull out her phone and she'll take a look. Now, all I have to do is have like one brain cell in my head to understand that the end of this road is not good. What good could possibly come from me saying that? Right. And to ask myself, you know, like we've said before, wait, W-A-I-T, why am I talking? 
Why did I start that conversation? Because I'm trying to stir up this judgmental drama against this friend because I'm trying to make myself feel smarter or better because I have the correct political belief and they do not because I am much more circumspect in my opinions and I don't share them online. And I think people who share them online are silly or whatever, fill in the blank. So what am I doing? Where am I going, right? This person, not only that they try to persuade their friends to join them, but they, they're not calculating the end of the road. When you start saying something, I'm telling you, when you do this, when you pause for literally a second and ask yourself, if I say X, which Y thing will probably happen? And you like think about it and you're like, oh, what? No, I don't, not interested in that. That's not worth it. The immense feeling of relief is so beautiful. It's literally its own reward, right? Why do I want now? Of course, some people like to stir up drama because like I said, it makes them feel super powerful, right? You know, and I, I sometimes tell this to my kids and by kids, I mean girls, <laughs> because unfortunately this is more common often among women than men. Um, but I, I often talk to my girls about, listen, you know, there are some kids who are drama girls and there are some kids who are not drama girls. Try to stick to the not drama girls because your life will be calmer and happier, right? And we know from being adults that there are drama girls who are 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and more, right? Sometimes drama girls don't grow up and they just become old drama girls or older drama girls, right? But sometimes, sometimes we're dramatic too. We all have a certain certain needs, whether those needs are to feel important, to feel that our message is valuable, to feel that our opinions matter to people, right? And sometimes we just have a need to get people to our side and to our way of thinking. And so we'll start stirring up drama in order to feel valuable and important. So don't do this, which is, you know, just going down a road that's not good. Stop and ask yourself, which road is this that I'm traveling on right now? with this conversation, where is it going? Is it going somewhere good or is it not going somewhere good? And that little pause, even though it can be so, so hard to squelch this kind of a negative conversation, but the relief is immense because people who are always looking for drama are never satisfied, right? It's like when you're thirsty and you drink something sweet and it doesn't really quench your thirst and then you just feel like you need more and more and it's never enough, right? People who thrive on drama, it's never enough. They're never like, oh, okay, I think I had enough drama for today. I'm good. I met my daily quota. It's this like insatiable drive. Okay, thoughts or comments on 29? I think it's so difficult when there are people in your life who that's just their default mode. Sorry, I'm talking a little quietly. Hopefully you can hear me. Um, and it, I find it, I know when I'm going to be around those people and I kind of don't know what to do. You know, you get sucked in. And I think, you know, the only thing that has helped is just maybe redirect conversation and kind of it's challenging when you can't really avoid those people for whatever reason in your life. Sometimes people that are in your life are just, you can't really ditch them. Right. It's challenging. You know, it's, it's interesting when you talk about how to redirect that conversation. So 
it might sort of be like an interesting social psychology experiment, (laughs) you know, that when someone is trying to stir up this kind of drama to literally change the subject and then see how long it takes them to come back, you know, and, and that at some point, do they feel embarrassed to keep trying to go back there or do they like just shamelessly keep doing it? You know, because that'll also tell you like how much awareness do they have about what they're doing? (coughs) Some people realize they're doing it and there's even a certain amount of, you know, appropriate like social discomfort, like kind of, they hope nobody calls them out on it. And some people are blissfully and by blissfully, I mean, for them unaware So it's interesting to see like, who are you dealing with? You know, if you try to change the subject and go off to something else, how soon do they insist on coming back and harping on that again? You know, just for your own awareness of what's happening. But I'm always a fan of changing the subject. My husband is actually, my family always jokes about this. He is the world's most professional subject changer. And I have news for you, even though we all know that he's doing it, we're all like, oh, there he goes, changing the subject again. It works. It works totally. We're like, okay, fine. Let's talk about that now. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Laura. Any other comments on 29? Okay. 30. He winks his eyes to devise treacherous things. He purses his lips, brings evil to pass. Okay, so this is a person who um so this is a person who is now we're talking not just about speech, but we're talking about body language, right? A person who used winking or making a face, right? And how that affects their conversations with other people. Now, this book was written thousands of years ago. The commentary was written about 300 years ago. So there was no such thing as texting when this book was written. But if you can think about how much, I'm not even talking about social media, although that is certainly a hotbed of passive aggressive behavior. but even just texting with which even people who are not on social media or who are not active on social media for very legitimate and good reasons. Right. But pretty much everybody texts and there can be so many misunderstandings and passive aggressive. Conversations that which just so you know, emojis can be picked by accident. I, I've had many interesting encounters with people where, you know, uh, somebody will like, I'll, I'll write something serious and somebody will close the laughing face and you just have to give people the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes they probably were not laughing at my emotional disclosure, right? That was probably a slip of the thumb. Um, but how much like here, you know, it's obviously it's talking about winking and pursing your lips. These are all emojis that people choose to convey an emotion, or sometimes it's to convey hostility or to take something serious and make it not serious, you know, or to take something that's not serious and take it seriously. Um, Something so interesting about how our generation has changed with this type of communication. 
my daughter, Yiti, um, who's a school psychologist, so she, she, part of her job is she administers IQ tests to kids. And she said that one of the questions that they ask kids is about emotions. They're trying to see if kids are able to detect patterns uh, in, you know, different series of things. So one of the questions they ask kids is, what do anger and sadness have in common, right? And the right answer, so to speak, is that they're both emotions. So she asks this one kid, what do anger and sadness have in common? And the kid said, they're both emojis. <laughs> Which is true, right? And from an IQ perspective, the kid answered correctly. The kid found the pattern between the two, right? But on a standardized test, that would have been a wrong answer, okay? Um, but it, it is true because nowadays we often communicate emotions via emojis, right? And this is why I always tell my kids, some things need to be a phone call and some things need to be a face-to-face -face conversation. Some things are just not for text. You know, I know sometimes, um, somebody once gave me not just once, more than once, I got feedback that sometimes on text, I sound terse and abrupt. And it's just because I answer texts quickly because I try to respond, you know, I try to respond within a short amount of time. And sometimes I don't have time to really sit and think about every single thing I'm saying. So it can come out as very short and abrupt, which is certainly not my intention. So a lot of this sort of, you know, nonverbal body language behavior is exacerbated by our generations. You know, it's into new, you know, language almost of, of nonverbal communication electronically and how that comes across to people. But I would argue, and I'm telling this to myself, that just as I'm careful about how I say things to other people in real life, or I, I should be, right? I should think carefully about how I say things to other people because I don't want other people to feel hurt. So too, over text, I should take that extra moment to think about not just what I'm saying, but how is this going to land to the other person? And sometimes it's hard to know, right? Sometimes it's just hard to know. Uh, and sometimes you just don't have the time to formulate, you know, a super emotionally astute text message. Uh, we're only human and we, you know, we do what we can do, right? But it is, it is interesting to note how much can be conveyed without ever speaking a word, right? And even this winking, like, let's say, uh, let's say I'm sitting around the Shabbat table and we have a guest who is acting really erratic or strange or something like that. Right. And let's say I look across the table and I, I roll my eyes to somebody about that person. I mean, that's a form of Lashon Hara. That's a form of negative speech. And I never said a word, but I'm conveying disdain about another human being, Right. So we have to be careful about what we're saying. And we also have to be careful about what we're communicating via other methods and means. And not just about, you know, negatively speaking or communicating about another person, right? But even let's say I'm talking to somebody and they tell me, oh, you know, I'm going to this and this place this weekend, you know, and I happen to think that that's a bad place to go or I don't approve, right? So I could just be like, really? You're, that's where you're going. You know, easy enough, simple enough. And yes, that could negatively impact another person. Let's say that person thinks that, you know, and, and look, there are times and there are relationships where you should have an honest conversation. Say, listen, I don't know, really, do you think that's the best place to go? Right. But when we just sort of impugn other people and make them feel dumb or embarrassed, 
it's so easy to do with a simple eye roll or a simple, you know, gesture of the face, right? There's so much that we're communicating thereby. So the commentary, the evil person makes malicious plans with ease and speed, a slight gesture of the eye and an entire project of destruction is worked out, a gesture of the lips and it is executed. How easy it is to destroy things with a simple facial expression. You know, it reminds me of a couple of years ago, my daughter was at the mall, the mall that's near our house, Beachwood Place. And extremely, extremely scary. There were rumors of a shooting and everybody, I don't know if the guy, you guys who live in Cleveland remember this and everybody, my daughter was in this like little accessory store and everybody was like, everybody down. She was up by the cashier, like paying and the cashier pushed her down. She, she was maybe 15 years old, pushed her down and she was on the floor. She was terrified, absolutely terrified. Um, the place was on lockdown and whatever. Finally, thank God she got home. She wouldn't go to the mall for like months after that. We found out afterwards that it was not a shooting. It was a prank that these kids had this whole plan that was hatched on social media. It was a challenge or a, I don't know what the joke. I don't know exactly what they call it, where somehow they communicated to all these other teenagers to show up at the mall and pretend that there was a shooting because it would be fun to scare people. Now think about, you know, here it's talking about, uh, just to read you this one line from the commentary, a slight gesture of the eye and an entire project of destruction is worked out, right? One social media post and you can harm people's, they didn't harm anybody physically, but they certainly harmed them mentally and emotionally, right? My daughter will never, ever forget that experience even though she found out afterwards that it was a joke and that terror was real in that moment, right? And uh, it's like, wow, how, how easy it is to create so much destruction. Conversely, just so we're not harping on the negative, we know that every tool for destruction can also be used positively. So I have to tell you guys the story. There's a woman, her name is Shandy Plotzker, um, I think she's like around 30. She is an Orthodox Jewish singer and songwriter. She's super talented. She has an amazing story. She actually lost her voice and she had to have surgery. And she has this whole story of Amuna, of faith with, with, with you know, how she came through that. Um, and, you know, in Orthodox circles, if you're 30 years old and not married, it's very hard because all your friends are married and all of them have kids. And it's hard not to feel like you've been sort of passed over and the, you know, progression of life. And it's easy to feel sort of lonely. And, you know, like it's a very, it's a very couplesy kind of, you know, culture. And it's, it's, it's really hard. Um, and she was like really big on, on giving people encouragement that you can persevere despite your difficulties and despite your challenges. And, you know, she writes songs about this and she's, she's a very, very positive role model for a lot of young Jewish girls. Anyway, about two weeks ago, she got engaged um, hey, Debbie, welcome. And uh, she she's very active on Instagram and she posted about it. It was so beautiful. Everyone was so excited. And she was very actually modest about it. Like she didn't post a picture of herself and her fiance. She just posted a little mazel tov message and how happy she is for people. And she was on a podcast talking about how like God answers you right when you need it. 
Anyway, as I was flying to New Jersey yesterday, I was in the terminal waiting for my flight and I went on Instagram and I saw she posted, um, you know, thank you so much, everybody, for all your amazing warm messages. I just wanted to let you know that Hashem has a plan for everything and I am no longer engaged. She didn't say if she broke it off, he broke it off. It was like literally the least dramatic thing that you could possibly see. And then she wrote this. She wrote, first of all, everybody's been sending me the most amazing and supportive messages. Thank you. I want you to know I'm, I'm good. Like Hashem has a plan. Everything happens for a reason, blah, blah, blah. And then she says, there's a young woman who got engaged, uh, who, who was supposed to get married at the same time as me. I guess they had a very similar um, uh, wedding date. And this other woman uh, is from the former Soviet Union, and she became much more involved in Judaism, and, and she got engaged, and she doesn't have, you know, resources, and she doesn't have familial support, and... Um, um, Shane D was fundraiser, that is a fundraiser that I am running for this woman. Um, did you guys hear me? Did I freeze? No, I missed the punchline. <laughs> so she said, if anybody wants to know what you can do for me, here's a link to this online fundraiser that, that her, I guess this, this other bride's sister was running this charity the campaign to raise money for this woman's wedding. So Shandy said, if any of you want to know what you can do for me, you know, if you feel like you're with me in this difficult time and you want help, the way you can help. The, the way you help is to do a mitzvah. And she said, please consider donating to this other woman's wedding campaign. Um, thank you, Tova. I will post the link on the chat. I appreciate your question. Um, and and that, that's, that's what will really make me feel like my challenge has meaning and purpose. I, I am not kidding you. I think it was an hour later, she raised thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars right? So we could focus on how this little <clears throat> gesture, this little nudge, nudge, wink, wink can create so much drama and havoc and destruction. Or we can focus on the fact that with a little posting, a little emoji, a little link, you can create enormous amounts of good, real good. Like here is this woman, this bride who's getting married, who can now prepare for her wedding with total financial serenity that she does not have to worry about how she's paying for her wedding. Why? Because Shandy happens to be famous and she has thousands of followers on Instagram who adore her. And she directed them to use her pain for a mitzvah. I mean, wow. Who, who does that? It's magnificent. So let's not get bogged down, right? On all the destruction and the damage that people can do. Let's definitely know about that. Learn about that. Be careful about that. But let's be inspired and filled up by whatever people use for the bad communication, nonverbal communication, texting emoji, social media. All of that can always also be used for at least as much good as there is bad. Okay. Thoughts or comments on all of that? I know you're all speechless because that was amazing. <laughs> okay, moving along, 31. 
Um, just trigger warning, we're going to be talking about getting old in this verse. Okay, letting you all know. Atera tiferet seva, a hoary head, hoary, by the way, <laughs> it's not a bad word. It means like white hair, okay? A hoary head is a crown of glory. Crown of glory. Biderech tzedakah timatzei. It is found in the way of righteousness. That's interesting that the word seva here, a hoary head, right? A, a gray, a head of gray or white hair is your crown of glory. So my stepdad who turned 30 yesterday, and for those of you who weren't on in the very beginning, I was, I was at his birthday party last night. It was a very, very beautiful occasion for my family. Um, so there's a verse in Pirkei Avot, the book Ethics of the Father. Some of you may be familiar with this, where it talks about like the different ages and stages of life and that they mean different things. So it says like, you know, five years old is this and eight years old is that and 13 years old is that. And, you know, at 18, you should do this. And at 20 is this and 30 is this and 40 is that. So what is 70? A few people mentioned it. We actually, one of the things we did for the birthday party was we got 70 videos of people wishing my stepdad a happy birthday and we compiled it and we played it for him. It was really, really fun. Like some people from his childhood whom he hasn't seen in decades um, and some of his patients, he's a very beloved pediatrician in Lakewood, New Jersey. It was really cute. But a few people mentioned this teaching in Perkei Avot. It says, Ben Shivim Seva, which means at 70 years old, you have Seva. Seva means white hair. <laughs> That's what it means. Now, of course, the Mishnah, the, the verse in Perkei Avot is not there to tell us what color our hair will be, okay? It's there to tell us something, that when your hair goes white, it means that you have, the, that's what this is saying, it is a, a, a crown of glory, and it is found in the way of righteousness. I was actually going to say I didn't have the opportunity, but my stepdad is like the king of puns. He loves puns, and he's also like a bit of a pack rat. So I was going to say Ben Shiva Laseva, that, that that's when you see all the things that you have saved, and you should, P.S., you should get rid of them, but I didn't say that. Okay. In any case, what are we trying to say here, right? And, and this is something that I talk about very often in my classes. It's something I feel very passionate about, that I think our culture has, um, hey, Avril, uh, I think our culture has it all wrong when it comes to aging. We have a very negative attitude towards aging. Um, us as women specifically lie about our age sometimes, which, by the way, we have it all wrong. If I am... 50 and I tell people that I'm 40, they're going to wonder why I look old. But if I'm 50 and I tell them that I'm 60, then they're going to think I look amazing. So, you know, I always say this, we've been lying in the wrong direction, but in any case, we shouldn't be lying at all. Why? And this is something that I have thought about from the time I am a very, very young girl, because many of you know that I lost my father when I was very little and my father died when he was 30. And when he died, I, all I remember is people saying he was so young. He was so young. He was so young. That's what I remember people saying. And when I hit 30, all I could think to myself was, I am as old as my father was when he died. And every single year over 30 is, I can't help but view as a precious gift that my father did not get. So who are we? And don't get me wrong, I'm not judging because I totally understand it. Who are we to kvetch and complain and whine about the gift of years that God has given us? 
the privilege to live till 40, the privilege to live till 50, the privilege to live till 60, and on and on and on. And right. And I know that getting older has its challenges, right? And our bodies are not what they used to be. And sometimes we look in the mirror or we look at pictures of ourselves and we're like, oh, what's that? Oh, does that what I really look like? What's that saggy baggy thing? Or, you know, what are those wrinkles or what's that? That's normal. That's understandable. Right. And the more we define ourselves as a body, the harder it will be for us to celebrate life. The more we think of ourselves as a soul, the more we will understand. I was talking about this in my Tuesday class. The more we will understand that bodies may get weaker and slower, but souls that are worked upon age like fine wine. So your body is never going to be what it was 20 years ago, but that's okay. That's not your job in this world. Your job is not to look like you're 20 when you're 40, you know, and there's so many messages coming at us from popular culture, right? What's so impressive about this and that celebrity that they look, they don't look like they're their age. Look at this 70 year old who looks like she's 40. Look at this 50 year old who looks like she's 20. Like that's some kind of momentous achievement. Guys, that's not an achievement. So your body, you, you tricked your body into thinking it's younger or you tricked the cameras into making your body look younger. Who cares? I want somebody to look at my soul and say, wow, her soul is like a 100 year old. Her soul has so much wisdom and her soul has so much sagacity. Wow. She has an old soul. That's a beautiful compliment. Yes, your body will get weaker and weaker, but that's just to remind you that it was never about your body in the first place. Your body is merely a means to an end. Your body is a container for your soul. Your body is the mechanism by which you get to do good things in this world. It is not who you are. It's not the sum total of who you are. It does not define you. It does not make you. And as women, we're constantly commenting on each other's bodies, right? And, and men too, since we have a man here, let's talk about men. Men too define themselves by their bodies sometimes, right? Women want to be small, petite, and cute. And men want to be big and strong, whatever the you know stereotypes are, right? If you want to compliment a fellow woman, you'll tell her she looks, you look amazing. Did you look, did you lose weight? Oh my God, you look so young. Oh my God, what did you do with your hair? And we compliment each other. Nothing wrong with making a girlfriend feel good, but let's not hyper obsess on our bodies right? How about complimenting? How about, okay, I understand it's a weird thing to compliment saying, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. Your soul is looking pretty darn amazing today. Okay. I get it. That's weird. Right. But you can compliment people by saying, you know, I love spending time with you. I just feel really good in your presence. And I was thinking about this when I was watching these 70 videos that people made for my dad. Do you think one person said anything about his body? No, nobody did. You know what they complimented him on? His sense of humor, his big heart, the fact that he's there for other people, compliments of the soul. That's the goal. That's what we're after, right? Okay, commentary. The respect due an old man and woman, I will add, for the experience and achievement of his years is conditional on his life having been a righteous one. We're not saying here, guys, that just because you get old means you're better. No, you have to work on yourself to get better with age. It's not going to happen by itself. Unfortunately, we know some mean young people and we know some mean old people because they never worked on themselves. So they just got older and meaner. That's not the point. The point is that if you, no matter how much you work on your body, it will never be the same as it was when you were younger. But if you work on your soul, it will be better and better and better with each passing decade. 
Only the righteous aged have accumulated not simply years, but good deeds. When you see an older good person, you can think to yourself, think about how many good deeds they have. They have this whole stockpile of millions and millions of mitzvot that they have because they lived for longer years, right? And an estimable relationship with their maker, with God. They alone deserve the crown of glory, universal honor and respect. And this is why when older people speak, we should listen carefully because if they, they have the experience and the wisdom of years that young people don't have. And that's also something that we do in our culture is we worship the youth. They're smarter, they know better, they're technologically astute, they're fashion forward, they know the trends and the marketing. That's that's fine. That's great. Make everybody feel good. But just so you know, that's not where the wisdom of yours is. The wisdom of yours is that older person sitting in the corner that nobody's schmoozing with because they think that he doesn't have anything interesting to say. At your next family gathering or social event, find a person who's older than you. Don't tell them that you're picking them because they're older than you. They might not be so excited about that. And just talk to them and just see what kind of interesting things they have to say about life, about the world, and really listen and see if you could pick up any nuggets of wisdom. Okay, thoughts, comments on 31. This is not very Torah-ish, but there, it's interesting because Julia Louis-Dreyfus has a podcast called Wiser Than Me, and the whole point of the podcast is to speak to older women to get their wisdom. Um, language is definitely... Julia Louis Dreyfus. She was um, playing in Seinfeld. She starred on Veep. The, the language is very not Torah. It's kind of opposite of Torah, but it is interesting because she. And I've only listened to one, a couple, but she heard the whole point of it is, you know, we are wasting all this time interviewing this, that, and the other one. Let's interview these women who've lived life and find out their secrets. I would be super curious to hear the conversations that happen when the podcast host invites women to speak on her podcast because they're older. I would be super curious to know if people are like feeling weird about, oh, you want me because I'm old? Like right. almost offended? I, I, I don't know. I wonder. I don't know. It was, it's interesting though. But again, um, whatever, warning, language warning. <laughs> Thank <FYI>. you. <laughs> I duly noted. <laughs> okay any other thoughts or comments before we close today Naomi I like your uh I like your comments socially engaged physically engaged intellectually engaged and spiritually engaged I was just thinking about the commercial where the woman says age is just a number and mine is unlisted so, <laughs> but it's I mean, just be grateful. Gratitude helps a lot. Yeah. Instead of focusing on what you don't have, focus on what you do have. I always think about when I say how old I am, you know, I'm 48 years old. And I think about that's 48 times to thank God for keeping me alive another year. Right. Why would I want to make that number smaller? Yeah. Own it. <laughs> yeah. I was good. Something really um, in our. <laughs> The other school that I belong to, Shreitifa, we have an intergenerational sisterhood. And some of my dear friends in the sisterhood were Holocaust survivors who have passed. And I'm one of the younger people at six. Well, now I'm 61. But when I first joined in like my late 30s and early 40s, and we 
really pride ourselves in sitting with the elders, just such a beautiful thing that we get to sit with people who have survived, who were at Kristallnacht, who, you know, survived these stories and have the stories from Germany. And, you know, just amazing that we, like you said, we don't encourage that in our culture. And if not, not only do not encourage it, we just like ignore it. So I think that that is something that we can do with our shuls, especially um, at JFX and our own shuls, you know, that we have, that's another way to continue the stories of not just Holocaust survivors, but just people in general, those people in those rooms at Kiddish or wherever, you know, and and sit with those. So that's so beautiful. Um, One of the ways in which I find this happens is that when somebody sponsors a Kiddish for a yard site and they talk about their parent, you know, and how they came to this country or made their way or found their spouse or, you know, how they stayed connected to Judaism, even though the culture in America at the time was so hostile, you know, so it's, it's, first of all, it's an opportunity to learn about the person who has passed, but it's also an opportunity to listen to the person who's sponsoring that yard site, you know, who might be older, you know, and, and to hear their impressions and perspectives of their parents. So it's sort of like on, you know, a double level. That's beautiful. And I'm also going to mention Jamie Lee Curtis does a lot of speaking about this in Hollywood about aging and sh- if you want to follow someone in addition in addition to julie louis dreyfus jamie <laughs> her 70s talks a lot about this aging process and how what bs it is and yeah. she's so yeah that's great thank you okay thank you everybody for participating mr Hemelfarb. it was great to have you here come back soon you will. <laughs> I, read, I read lips on the side. <laughs> oh, that's dangerous. <laughs> uh, yeah, be careful on my Zoom. Woo. Don't worry, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You already know that. <laughs> okay, have a beautiful day and a beautiful Shabbat, everybody. Always good to see you all here. Okay. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.